0: Hey guys, Paul Reddick here. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball Dads Podcast. Before we start this podcast, you got to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. I need your prayers. I need your positive vibes. I need your uh, good juju. I need your healing hands, if you will, on me. I'm going to try and make it through today's podcast without my head exploding or completely losing my mind. We're going to talk about a popular hitting drill that is... Gaining popularity, I guess. But before we do that, head on over to 567dad.com. There you can check out the 567dad Baseball Edition book. Um, That is mandatory reading if you have a son that is playing baseball this year. And there's also a couple other tools there. We have a couple scorecards where you could see if your son's ready to play at the next level, uh, what kind of potential does he have, and really where he is um, in the baseball world, how he measures up. And also a scorecard there for you, Dad, to see how you're measuring up as a baseball dad and how you are guiding your son through this game of baseball. So, today we're gonna to talk about a very popular hitting drill. Um, so as I understand it, it uh, unless it's by some other name, it is called underhand tossing. So if you have not heard of it, let me set it up for you. Um, you've all seen soft toss. Where a guy kind of stands to the side and flips the ball up, underhand flips the ball up to the hitter. Okay, so this is kind of from the front. So what a coach would do is they'll turn the L screen around. So the long side, they, they sit behind the long side. And uh, they'll sit on a bucket and they'll kind of throw the ball underhand to the hitter like about 15 feet away. So they're just kind of like flipping the ball to the hitter. And then um, they'll do that and then they'll have the hitter move around a little bit like forwards and backwards to, stim- to simulate a change of speeds which is um, ridiculous. And we'll talk about the ridiculousness of that in a second. <clears throat> Let me first say this. Um, I, I'm going to be super, super critical of this because it's just an absolute ridiculous drill. It's a complete waste of time. And if there's coaches on here that do this drill, undoubtedly, I'm going to offend some of you. I get that. We get the emails. We get your emails. We hear you loud and clear. No problem. I'm, I'm really not. What I would suggest is that if you are a coach doing this. I would suggest maybe for the next 10 minutes or so as we talk about it, you just open your mind up to that. Maybe there is a better way to train your hitters Um, and that running an effective or I'm sorry, running an efficient uh, training session, lesson or practice is not as good as running an effective one. Um, And ultimately, my responsibility is to you, the dad. Um, I I really, I I love coaches who are open-minded and want to grow. Um, but my, my responsibilities to the dad, you guys are the ones that are paying to play on these teams, paying for these lessons, playing for these camps and clinics and training sessions. You deserve to know whether or not you're getting your money's worth or whether or not you're getting, I don't want to say ripped off, but you're getting misinformed and misinstructed. So let's talk about it. Number one, let me get, let me get two things out of the way that are just kind of like Side. Uh, number one, the, coach, the optics of this look terrible. It, it, they just do. Like you sitting on a bucket behind a screen, flipping a ball underhand, not like a normal baseball player would do or, or overhand or a baseball person would do overhand. You're flipping it. It, it looks lazy. It, it just, the optics of it look terrible. Okay? Um, now, I get it. I, <clears throat> I I did 60 hours of baseball lessons at one point in my life, and I get it that it's hard to stand for that whole time. I would suggest to you, if you're having trouble standing for the entire time of your lessons, that I would suggest maybe you look to lighten your lesson load that maybe you're taking on too many. That's something I had to do. So, it, it looks terrible. So, on, on a second thing, and I don't want to get too far into this because this, is like, this could be like a whole 20-minute discussion, but when the coach is flipping the ball from this underhand position. So number one, the hitter's head. And if you're watching on YouTube or a video platform, the hitter's head is literally tilted forward and looking down, which means his eyes have tilted and his head is down. So the body goes, the, where the head goes, the body flows. So the minute you change the position of the head and the position of the eyes, the way that tracks down through the rest of the body, it complete. it's a completely different movement. So... I think repetition in hitting training is ridiculous. We're going to talk about that later. But let me just, one of the arguments for underhand tossing is that it gets a lot of repetition. We'll deal with that in a second. I'm willing to concur for 10 seconds that okay, if it is repetition, which it's not, but if it is in fantasy land, if it is, you're you have your hitter in a head position and an eye position that's that's skewing his vision that he will never be at in a game. And you're literally, if it is repetition, you're trying to groove in the swing. which again is also ridiculous, you're not grooving in a position or a pattern that he's going to use in the game. It's totally different. The minute you change the head, the minute you change the eyes, the rest of the body flows differently. Simple as that. I'm going to push that aside. That's a longer podcast. So let's talk about the visual pickup of the ball. So we have a pitcher, um, I'm sorry, a coach that is flipping a ball from an underhand position. That's probably a release point. That's a foot or so off the ground, right? And is tracking a ball coming up at the hitter. Okay. So 999999999 percent of the time that a hitter is going to be in a game hitting off a pitcher who is trying to get him out he now has, um, he is looking up and out for a release point that's probably somewhere around, you know, 53, 54 feet away, right? Versus looking down at a ball that's coming from a foot off the ground. Now, I know we're going to get an email from somebody that's going to say, well, what about an extreme submarine pitcher? Okay, okay. If, 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 if in that one-tenth of one percent percent that you find yourself doing an extreme submarine pitcher, which I doubt you're really going to see a consistent one outside of super high-level Division One ball and professional baseball, and even if you did, it's usually a specialist that maybe would pitch an inning or two, in that event that you're going to come up against an extreme submarine pitcher, underhand toss until your heart's content. You're still not making yourself a better hitter, but if it makes you feel better, go for it. So now we have a hitter who is looking down, picking up a release point, a foot from the ground, at a ball that is literally coming up to him versus a game where he's going to be looking out, trying to pick up a release point of a ball that's coming down towards him on a downward plane. So we're training the hitters to hit, look down and hit on a ball coming up versus looking out and looking at a ball coming down. Okay, so this creates a ton of problems. We've seen the great work that Perry Husband has done an effective velocity we know about tunneling that picking up pitchers are getting better and better at making all of their pitches look the same right in that Tunnel that, that 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 first part out of the hand that pitchers are trying to make their, their pitches look the same This is already a hard enough thing to do if we're training it properly But now when you add in an incredible amount of wasted time training We understand why our pitchers or our hitters excuse me are having a tough time adapting to this It's already hard to do, and now we're not doing anything to help them do it. So that's number one. Uh, Well, I don't even know what number we're on now, but you get where I'm going. So what I want you to do is I want you to watch how the balls are hit too. You don't see a lot of ground balls hit in um, uh, underhand toss. What you tend to see is about 20, 25% of the time, the hitter will really hit the ball good really hit it good and that's just because now the ball is coming up the ability and timing to be able to hit that ball in the right spot is really really minimal you're closing that that window that a hitter has to make solid contact what you'll see is a lot of pop-ups if they miss they usually pop it up or what you'll see is what i call cage line drives so If a hitter hits a ball and hits the cage, you know, five feet away, 10 feet away, 15 feet away, whatever, if you pull the ball and you hit it hard in the cage against like the left side of the cage, if you're a right-handed hitter, right, they all kind of look like doubles off the wall in the cage. They all do. Now, I know there's some technology where we can now look... And they can tell us like, okay, this ball went 230 feet and that's a fly ball out. And that ball went 340 feet and is in the double in the gap, right? Or that one went, um, you know, 150 feet and is, and is a, you know, a base hit up the middle or whatever. We, we have that technology. Now, that technology is awesome. Awesome. I love it. But it's scarce, right? We don't have, it's not in every single batting cage we have now, right? It's that kids are not have access to that um, like they will maybe down the road in the future as the cost of that technology comes down so they all look like doubles off the gap doubles in the gap and home runs in the cage but if you're really listening for good solid contact you you will hear the difference I remember when I started out as a scout there was this legendary scout who you who who at a game would turn his back to um the hitter and I asked him one time what are you doing why do you do that I thought he, at first for a long time, I thought he was looking at something else, like a game on the other field. Or, and he's like, no, what I'm, li- I'm listening for a hit because that, that aluminum bat can be deceptive. I'm listening for that really solid contact. So they could mishit a ball and hit it 320 feet with an aluminum bat, but the sound always gives it away. And I don't want my eyes to deceive me of the sound. So the, the, the last part of it is there's a timing issue. So uh, uh, there's a, there's a rhythm and a timing to how a hitter is going to hit in a game. Right? So um, when a coach is sitting there just flipping balls to the hitter, okay, you're literally tra- training at a faster pace than a hitter would ever have to perform in a game. So now what happens is you're taking out, which is some of the hardest part of hitting, which is the hitter thinking about different pitches, in between pitches, adjusting himself and correcting himself. And what you're kind of getting into, a, a, a pitching, a, a batting practice pitcher and a And a hitter can get into a rhythm. Believe me. If you want a 70-mile-an-hour fastball to see how far you can hit, I'm your guy. I can do that all day long. When I I was coaching in high school, I thought I was doing a good job by throwing an efficient batting practice. Just move, 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 move. And I could throw right over the plate. My head coach, his name was Ray Korn at the time, called me Juggs Machine. And I came off after throwing this BP that was done in like 20 minutes. And he goes, you know, they can all hit those 70-mile-an-hour fastballs over the plate. And I had gotten into a rhythm with them. I knew where they were swinging. I knew where to put it. I knew the timing. I knew the tempo to make them hit well. The problem is is that when a pitcher got in a game, I, I was grooving to their timing. And a pitcher in a game was trying to upset their timing. And we had not trained them for what the pitcher was going to try and do. So that's a huge thing is the timing that we get into in a groove. And when a hitter is in a groove and you're flipping balls right in his sweet spot and he's hitting them, yeah, it it all looks great. It will make him feel good. It will not make him good. It's kind of the difference between eating a salad and eating an ice cream sundae, right? One makes you good. The other kind of makes you feel good temporarily. And that's the equivalent of underhand tossing. So let's go into, we, we did an email about this about, I don't know, five months ago or so. And coaches fired back on me, right? And one of the things they said was, it is our way to get repetition. Okay, so here's the thing. Let's go back. You're repeating a ball coming from a foot below. And and your hitter is the timing of it. Even the the timing at which they have to react and swing is not the same. Because the stopwatch time says it's the same. It's not the same thing, the reaction time to be able to pick up the ball and swing is different, okay? There's a tracking that is different in these two drills, okay? So, if hitting comes down to number one is getting a good pitch to hit, that's it. Um, so, one coach said, Paul, it's repetition. I can get in a lot of, of, of swings. So, if you believe that you could get it, I'm sorry, they said we can get in a lot of swings. So, if you believe that, then you believe hitting is repetition, that hitting is just repeating a movement over and over and over and over again, and it is not selecting a good pitch to hit, how a hitter upsets timing, how a hitter changes speeds, use off-speed pitches and breaking balls, how a, hit, how a pitcher sets up hitters. You're, you just think it is a mindless repetition of a swing. And one coach said, I can get 50 to 100 balls in just a few minutes with that player. I'm like, okay. So what you're saying is it takes 100 swings. The average hitter in Major League Baseball sees 16 pitches and he swings at just shy of 50%. So let's call it 50%. So he swings at eight pitches. So by your standards, that is what? 12 times, I believe, more than 12 times. So 12 times the amount of repetition on a pitch you're flipping right over the middle, To create a skill that will show up in a game. So by that standards, most golfers are taking a thousand swings a day. I don't think that's true. So if you think it's repetition, then go ahead. But hitting is not repetition. Hitting is selection. So the problem we have now, there's a disconnect between the training and um, the game what we're asking the player to do, and when we're asking them to perform. So in a a practice, we preach swing, 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 repetition, repetition, repetition. But in a game, what you hear called out are discipline, patience, get yours, don't be over-anxious. A lot of coaches do this, if you're watching on YouTube, shrink the zone, shrink the zone. Get your pitch. So we, we expect repetition in practice, but discipline in a game. So when do we train for discipline? We don't if it's just repetition. So I will give you that. I will give you that. It makes for a very efficient practice. You can get a lot of hitters in and a lot of swings in, and it looks like a lot of activity, and it looks like a coach is doing a great job. And when there's a lot of activity, especially when that activity is very organized, it looks like the coach is doing a fantastic job when all they're really doing is being efficient at making you feel good and not making you good. Let's move on. The second thing they said is location. One coach said, you know, um, I, can, I can put the ball on the inside if they're having trouble with the inside pitch. I could put the ball on the outside if they're having trouble with the outside pitch. Okay, so I, I get that. I'm willing to concede that point that you can put it there. I'm willing to concede that. But what I'm willing to argue is, so you're assuming that it's just all location. That the reason why your hitter is having trouble with the in, with an inside pitch is because it's the location of the pitch that he needs to work on. And not maybe that he missed the inside pitch because of an inside pitch coming from a lefty sidearm pitcher who threw like 84 and he had never seen a pitcher with that release point and that arm angle and that tempo or that speed delivered, be able to pinpoint in the inside part of the plate. Could that be the reason why he missed the pitch? Could the, could he could he have trouble with that location because of the way he was set up by the pitcher. So if it's just location, then all of these things should work themselves out, but they don't. So it's not just location. Do we want to consider all of the different variables that a pitcher, that a hitter might encounter in a game? Let's just start with a few, right-handed, left-handed. Okay. Now let's talk about um, arm slots. Right, the, the the dizzying array of different arm slots that we would see. How about tall and short? So do you have a left-handed pitcher who's short with a sidearm release point, and then the next pitcher that comes in is a right-handed pitcher who's tall with a higher release point, and then do you have a right-handed pitcher that comes in who's more of a sidearm release point? How does underhand tossing and repetition and just working on locations prepare the pitchers for just those three things? There's actually other things. There's the tempo a pitcher pitches at, um, the, the how precise he is with his pitches, his off-speed pitchers. There's four things a hitter, uh, four variations and four things a hitter uh, pitchers do to get hitters out. And there is a dizzying array uh, of it's, I've actually asked someone to do it. It's impossible because the variables all change. Where there's no way to predict the variables. So how is flipping 50 balls at an underhand toss from one foot out of the ground with a hitter looking down with his head and body in a bad position, prepare them for the dizzying array of options that they may face during a game. And also how does that preach them at least maybe to have the discipline to wait out their pitch um, when all we're doing is just swing, 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 swing. Okay, changing speed. So some coaches say, well, they can step up, they could step back, and you just have this like three plate drill where a hitter will literally have, there's one plate they hit off of, they'll move back one, they'll move up one, they'll move to like all three, and that simulates a change of speed. Okay, so um, I'm willing to, I'm willing to concede that. Uh, uh, that you can change speeds. Uh, uh, actually, I'm not. I'm not. It's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. So number one is you're, you're, just, you're saying that the only thing that makes a changeup effective is the change of speeds. It's not um, the movement where we know a good changeup changes speeds and moves. So you a hitter coming closer to you or farther away and you flipping the same pitch, well, unless you've got a pitcher who's just going to throw straight changeups over the plate for you and let you know they're coming – and not set you up <laughs> and tip the pitch, then it's a great drill. But if you do have a pitcher who's going to try and have a change of speeds and movement, and he's going to try and set it up in a fashion where you're looking for a fastball and expecting a changeup, not like, hey, get in the position where the, this ball is going to look slower, because here comes a ball that's going to look slower. Kind of like a boxer saying, I'm about to throw a right. Put your left hand up. Right. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not a great, uh, setup. Um, so maybe a changeup is more about all of those things. The fourth one, uh, is I can get a good look at the hitter swing from that close of a distance. Okay. So you think hitting is the swing. So if hitting is the swing, then repetition is, is your tool. And you being able to work on the swing is your tool. But, um, let me explain to you this. You could have, um, uh, Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., um, uh, uh, Pete Rose, uh, you could uh, Hank Aaron, you could bring back Mickey Mantle and and Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb, and they could all work on your swing all day long. But the only limiting variable of a hitter is ability to pick out a good pitch to hit. So looking at his swing is secondary to looking at what pitches he is selecting to hit. So. If we're, I guarantee you that if you, if you want to make the, if you want to make the greatest adjustment you can in a hitter swing, here's how to do it. Start having him swing at better pitches and you will see a lot of the hitting flaws that we pay a ton of money to iron out just kind of go away real quickly, real quickly. So last thing I want to say to this is that I have never seen a kid in an underhand toss video, and I'm sure it's happened, so don't send me 50 of them, but I'm sure it's happened, where if you throw 20 underhand toss pitches at a kid, you know what he does? He swings at him. He swings at him. So here we are again. A ball gets thrown, you swing. But in a game, discipline, shrink the zone, get yours, don't be over anxious. And so how do we teach that? So now I've fire hosed at you, I know. Um, so what do you do? How do you prepare your kids to pitch? Sorry about the, the lawnmower. I don't know if you can hear that, but they're literally right outside of our building. Here, so, sorry about that. So, um, how do you prepare a kid to hit? You have to throw to them. You have to throw to them. So, I understand that you probably can't throw from a 60 foot, 6 inch off a mound, or if you're at Little League, the disc, I, I, I get it. That coaches, you're older, you're, I get it. That the farther you go back, you're going to lose control. So, here's what you have to do. Number one, you have to get as far as you can away from the hitter and still throw, you know, effectively. Okay. And still be able to move the ball around, not just throw strikes. I'll tell you right now, if I'm, if I'm back on a mound pitch, like I'm not going to throw an effective batting practice. Like I'll throw a ball over the plate from there, but I'm not moving it around real well. I'm 44 years old. Um, it wasn't, it was nothing to look at. Believe me, it was pretty terrible to begin with. So now an advanced age with all kinds of issues. Um, So I'd move up to probably 45 feet where I could throw the ball in, throw the ball out, throw the ball away, change speeds and not let the hitter know and make. So that's one thing. Number two, you have to groom. You have to be able to throw some sidearm balls, some change up your release point. Work on this. This is part of your job as a coach and an instructor is to make your players good. In order to make your players good, you have to be able to have a skill set that can can train those hitters if you need to bring in another, uh, pitcher, bring in another pitcher. You must, if you are a team, you must have a left-handed, uh, batting practice pitcher. You must have a left-handed batting practice pitcher. If you don't, I mean, I, don't, I that's a whole other podcast to explain that. I don't care if you got to pull one of the dads out, train them up, hire a kid, you know, maybe a guy who played college or maybe is working now, whatever, throw him 20 bucks. You got to get your kids looks on a lefty. Vice versa, if you're a lefty coach, you're throwing BP, you got to give different looks. Could you imagine if a boxer was going to face a left-handed boxer in his next match and never trained against a left-handed boxer? Like It would be the one thing they would do. I I had a friend who made made a, a great living for a long time as a practice partner in the tennis world. And the reason why he made such a great living as a practice partner is he was ambidextrous. He could literally hit right-handed and left-handed equally. So if you know if you were going to play against if Andre Agassi was going to play against Rafael Nadal in the semifinals, um, he would he would practice with him lefty, and he was going to play Pete Sampras in the finals. He would practice with him right, and so he could give him that righty lefty combo and balance him out. So you need that. You need to be able to change speeds. You need to be able to move the ball. You need to be able to throw different uh, you know, slots and all that. And, and throw balls at hitters. That's it. I don't care if they're nerf balls, baseballs, tennis balls. It doesn't matter. When they hit it, it doesn't matter. What matters is that they could pick out a good pitch to hit. The last thing I'm going to leave you with, and I know this is longer than our normal podcast, but I'm excited and fired up. Um, uh, make your batting practice like at-bats. So when you are throwing batting practice to your uh, hitters, my inclination was 70 miles an hour over the plate, let him hit it. Well, that doesn't make him a better hitter. You would, probably, you would make your hitter better if you threw four balls outside of the zone and he didn't swing at any of them than if you laid four 70 miles an hour right over the plate and he hit and crushed them all. You would actually be better if, if three of them were balls and one of them was a low and outside pitch and he took it for a strike, he would become a better hitter. Becoming a better hitter, does, repetition does not equal better hitting. If you want to be a better hitter, swing at great pitches. It is as simple as that. So pile on the comments, pile on the emails, pile them all on. Um, I, I, will, I will save you some time if you're watching this on social media platforms. Um, I, I do not read those comments. So just you can if, if you want to go ahead, but just, you know, don't be upset if I don't respond. Um, I don't, I don't engage in social media. Um, we put these out on social media, but I don't like, I don't do it personally. So thanks for listening guys. Again, head on over to 567dad.com and, um, check out the new baseball dads. Uh, edition of the 567 Dad. And there's some great tools over there too. Some scorecards. You can check out how your son is doing and how you're doing as a baseball dad. So as always, guys, I love you guys. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And I will see you next week. Hey, it's Paul Reddick. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. I want to let you know I have a new book out specifically for baseball dads. And I would love for you to check it out. You can go to baseballdadsbook.com. All the information is there and a pretty good discount for our podcast listeners. So again, it's baseballdadsbook.com. Thanks.